We're going to continue our uh, sermon series on keys uh, to spiritual growth. And I, I thought uh, this lesson, I hope you picked a, up a copy of the sermon notes as you came in. This lesson on becoming fishers of men, I thought was just a, a, a logical place to go after the last few weeks and our emphasis on uh, putting on the full armor of God and uh, encountering the spiritual warfare that is inevitable in advancing uh, the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter and Andrew, as you know, were brothers. Uh, they were also professional fishermen. And on this particular occasion, the Scripture tells us they had uh, fished all night on the Sea of Galilee and uh, to their dismay had caught absolutely nothing. Um, it was early morning and uh, they cast out their nets in one last desperate attempt to catch fish. Right at that very moment, Jesus, walking along the shoreline, calls out to Peter and Andrew with a simple invitation that changed their lives forever. And that invitation is found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We learn in Luke chapter 5 that by this time a large crowd had gathered around Jesus. Jesus selects Peter's boat to be his pulpit. As Peter and Andrew get in the boat with Jesus and thrust the boat just a little way from the land. We surmise that as Peter watches Jesus cast out his net to catch men for the kingdom of God, he is hit with a wave of fear. And he begins to drown in an overwhelming sense of inadequacy as he thinks to himself, how can a person like me ever hope to be a successful fisher of men like what I'm witnessing right now with Jesus? Jesus reads Peter's thoughts of fear and inadequacy and he sets out to give Peter his first fishing lesson. Jesus says, Peter, put out into the deep water and cast your net. Now, Peter probably thought, it's obvious, Jesus is a carpenter and not a fisherman. Because every fisherman knows here on the Sea of Galilee that you catch fish at night in the shallow water and not in the daytime in deep water. What Jesus asked Peter to do was contrary to all of his training, to all of his many years of experience as a fisherman. And do not forget, Peter had been fishing all night, catching nothing. He is exhausted. He is frustrated. The last thing he wants to do is what Jesus commanded him to do. And also, Peter had his pride. And he didn't want to look like a fool in the eyes of this large crowd that had gathered on the shoreline. But to Peter's credit, 
despite all his objections, he obeys Jesus. He says, but at your bidding, I will let down the nets. And most of you are familiar with the story. Peter's obedience results in a miraculous catch of fish that require the help of another boat uh, to secure all the fish. And that, of course, was the boat of two other brothers, James and John, who uh, we are told were in business uh, as fishermen with Peter and Andrew. And, of course, this is a wonderful relationship or wonderful lesson, wonderful lesson on, uh, in relationship to evangelism, in relationship to sharing the gospel. Uh, we have to step out in faith. We have to obey God and often, what, despite uh, our feelings, despite our objections. Now, it's important to understand what the miracle was. Such a large school of fish in one spot was not strange. The miracle was that Jesus saw down into the depths of the, the sea to see where that multitude of fish was. And then the light comes on for Peter. He thinks, if Jesus can see into the deepest depths of the sea, he can see into the deepest depths of my heart. Jesus sees my fear. He sees my unbelief. He sees my sin, my every flaw, my every def deficiency. As it says in Hebrews 4.12, no creature has any cover from the sight of God, everything lies naked and exposed before the eyes of him with whom we have to deal. With that realization, Peter, right there in the boat, falls down at the feet of Jesus and he cries out, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And then Jesus responds. He says, Peter, don't be afraid. Do not fear. Because from now on, you will be catching men. Then we're told that when they had brought their boats to the land, they, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, left everything and followed him. And followed him to be what? Fishers of men. Now today, I want to begin to focus on on that invitation in Matthew 4.19. And it would take me two weeks to get through this material. And of course, this is an invitation that Jesus still extends today to you and me. Follow me. Follow me. And I will make you a fisher of men. So please follow along in your sermon notes as we discover in Jesus' invitation over the next two weeks what is God's plan for my life, what is God's purpose for my life, and what is God's promise for my life? First, what is God's plan for my life? And the answer is the first two words in Jesus' invitation. Follow me. Probably the simplest, most precise definition of a Christian is simply what? A follower, to be a follower of Christ. Now, what does it mean to follow Christ? Well, look at the next three truths in your sermon notes. Romans 8, 29 talks about the fact that to follow Jesus 
is to trace my life after Jesus. To follow Jesus is to trace my life after Jesus. That verse reads from the paraphrase of the message, God decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love Him along the same lines as the life of His Son. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in Him. 1 Peter 1.22, which is not in your notes, reads, He is your example, and you must follow in His steps. So to follow Jesus' example means that I establish as the number one goal in my life to become like Jesus, to become like Jesus in my character, in my conduct, in my thinking, in my attitudes, in my values. I desire for Christ's life to be reproduced in me so that His life is displayed through me to a lost world. Look at the second truth. Not only to follow Jesus is to trace my life after Jesus, but then it's obvious to follow Jesus is to turn away from all distractions. To turn away from all distractions. Luke 9, verse 62. Anyone who lets himself be distracted from the work I plan for him is not fit for the kingdom of God. If my life's goal is to follow Jesus' example, to walk in His steps, to become like Him in all things, then it is obvious that is going to require me to turn away from, to forsake anything contrary to His character, to His conduct, to His thinking, attitudes, and values. Look at the third truth of what it means to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus is to stay tuned in on Jesus. Philippians 3, verses 14 and 15. I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal. Simply put, I think we would all admit it's pretty difficult, if not impossible, to follow someone if you're not keeping your eyes on them. The writer of Hebrews put it this way, let us run with endurance the race that he set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is our forerunner, and we are to follow His lead as we run the race that He's laid out for us. So the key application is this there in your notes. The God I communicate to others is not the God that I talk about. It's not the God that I preach from this pulpit. It's the God whose life I live out. In other words, before there can be a credible verbalization of the gospel, there has to be a clear what? Visualization of the gospel in my life. I don't want my life to get in the way of the message. 
but I want to demonstrate in my life an authentic Christianity that follows Jesus. So no one would have the opportunity or excuse, could use the excuse as a result of my life to be distracted from my Lord. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to what? To trace your life after him, to turn away from all distractions and stay tuned in on him. Now before we move on, and I'm going to spend the rest of the message today right here. It's very important to see that following Jesus, following Jesus is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. The gospel has been so watered down in the American church culture that many people in our pews believe that a person can receive God's gift of forgiveness and eternal life and then at some later time determine whether or not they're going to actually follow Jesus. Now, let there be no misunderstanding. Salvation is the free gift of God's grace. It's obtained not by works, but through faith alone. But here's the point. That gift is in receiving the person of Jesus Christ, who is both Savior and Lord. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. These were the verses that God used to bring me to Christ on September 20th, 1970. These two verses right here. It says, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life, but he who does not have the Son does not have life. So when God offers a person the gift of his son, and in him is salvation, folks, I can't say, oh, you know, I think I'll take the Savior part. But nah, nah, I don't want the Lord part. You know, I'm okay getting all the benefits getting my ticket to heaven, but this matter of surrender, this matter of really following him, nah, nah. Please take your Bibles, and this is where we're going to spend the remainder of our time. Please take your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. When Jesus presented the gospel, he always challenged the people with the cost of following him. He didn't ever preach or teach an easy believism. Let's begin reading at verse 34, and we'll go through verse 38. And he, Jesus, summoned the multitude with his disciples, and he said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, 
and take up his cross and follow me. So there's the command. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And then what follows in the next four verses are incentives, reasons, motivations to follow Jesus, to deny yourself, to take up your cross. And you see that before we read those verses, just notice in your Bibles, verse 35, the first word, for, 36, for, 37, for, 38, for. In other words, he's given, again, reasons. He's given incentives why a person would want to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. And here are the reasons, the incentives. He says, for whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels shall save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." Now go back to verse 34. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now let me point out something interesting. In the Greek text, that reads this way. If anyone wishes to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And it's obvious the reason the translators put, if he wishes to come after me, they, they, they didn't want to be redundant. But Jesus is. I mean, that's exactly what he said. He said, if anyone wishes to follow me, then deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And what that does, it puts the emphasis on those two qualifying phrases between the two follow me's. In other words, follow me, and this is the way that you are to follow me. By denying yourself and taking up your cross to follow me. So let's, let's take up the first qualifier, to take up his cross. Now put your thinking hat on. We need to understand what Jesus is saying. And then we need to get this to where the rubber meets the road. What was the cross? The cross was a horrific instrument of suffering and execution. So Jesus is actually saying in Mark 8, if you desire to follow me, then you're going to have to follow me to the cross. It's inevitable and it's inescapable. Now, as I reflected on that, the cross represents at least four things. I'm not saying there could not be more mentioned, but four struck me. In other words, when you think of that cross, that instrument of execution and death, four things the cross represents. The first is hostility. Hostility. 
Hebrews 12, 2 talks about Jesus enduring the cross. And then in verse 3 we read, Consider him who endured such hostility by sinners. Therefore, the cross represents being attacked, knowing opposition, people being hostile towards you. The second thing that's very obvious the cross represents is humiliation. Not just hostility, but humiliation. Listen to to these phrases. Every one of them taken directly from the Bible to describe the humiliation of the cross. The Bible says Jesus became a reproach. He was despised, forsaken, rejected, oppressed, slandered, mocked, scorned, sneered at, spit on, and cursed at. Simply put, he was treated like the lowest and most vile criminal on planet earth. There is a phrase in Isaiah 53, and the paraphrase of the message puts it this way. And it really captures the thought of the humiliation of the cross. We looked down on him and thought he was scum. And this explains the prophetic statement in Psalm 22, looking forward to the crucifixion and Jesus' feelings in response. And he says, I'm a worm and not a man. And that's the cross. Not just hostility, but this sense of humiliation, this sense of of shame. And then the third thing that the cross represents is, this is the most obvious one, suffering. Suffering. And how do you even begin to describe the suffering of the cross? I went to a thesaurus and just looked at synonyms for the word crucify that we use today. And here they are. Devastate. Crush, shatter, cut to the quick, wound, pain, torture, torment, agonize, persecute. This gives us at least a glimpse of the suffering the cross represents and the life we are called to live. And then the fourth thing the cross represents is what? Death. And the simplest way I know how to put this, the suffering has no good ending here on planet earth. In other words, Jesus saying, you know, you don't look for your reward here. You look for your reward up there. And praise God, he's transformed death into a door that opens wide into heaven, into the arms of my Lord, into all the glories of heaven. So here's the point, and don't miss it. 
And this is what Jesus is saying. The cross represents hostility, humiliation, suffering, and death. So Jesus is saying, are you willing to take up your cross and follow me? Are you willing to endure hostility? To endure humiliation, suffering, and even possibly death for my sake and the advance of the gospel? If you are, then follow me. But if you're not, do not call yourself one of my followers. Don't play games with me. I'm not calling you to a superficial life, a superficial commitment. You have to abandon all to follow me. Now, the second qualifier for being a follower of Christ is that he must be willing, as it says in verse 34, to what? Deny himself. Now, it should be very, very obvious why. Knowing that following Christ will mean encountering hostility, humiliation, suffering, and possibly even death, we are confronted with a choice. We can deny Christ to avoid the cross and all it represents, or we can deny self to embrace the cross. And why, why would any person in their right mind want to deny self and take up a cross to follow Jesus into a life of hostility, humiliation, suffering, and even death? Well, as we already mentioned, Jesus gives three reasons, three incentives and motivations to do so. And the first incentive that he gives to deny self and take up the cross and follow him is verse 35. Look at verse 35 again. He says, for whoever. Here's the reason why this is the smartest way to go, the wisest way to go. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels shall save it. So Jesus, this is what Jesus is saying. It's, it's not double talk. Uh, we don't need to make this complicated. And I think I can make it very clear. Jesus says, if I try to save my life, I'm going to lose it. But if I lose my life, I'll save it. Well, what in the world is he talking about? Well, what did we say the cross represents? The cross represents hostility, humiliation, suffering, and death. What is the opposite of those things? Now, follow me now. Stay with me. The opposite of hostility is the acceptance of men, the approval of men. The opposite of humiliation is what? To be honored to know the applause of men. The opposite of suffering is what? Pleasure, comfort, ease. And of course, the opposite of death is what? Life or safety. 
security. Jesus is saying, you have a choice. You have a choice. You can choose to avoid the cross of Christ to seek the acceptance of this world. To seek honor from this world, the applause of men. To seek pleasure and comfort and ease. To seek a life of security and safety. But he says, but if you do, in saving face with the world, you will lose your life eternally. So that's exactly what he's saying. Or, he says, you can choose to take up the cross and follow me. You can choose to embrace hostility. Humiliation, suffering, and even death for the sake of Christ, knowing that in doing so, you are going to lose acceptance. You're going to lose honor. You're going to lose pleasure and comfort. You're going to lose a life of security and safety. But in losing your life, You save it, what? Eternally. And do not miss the emphasis in verse 35 that the ultimate motivation to do so is what? For the sake of Christ and the gospel. In other words, I look at the cross where Jesus died for me, died for the penalty of my sin, a Jesus who embraced for Andy Merritt hostility, humiliation, suffering, and the worst imaginable agonizing death. And I suddenly realize that cross is not only the place where Jesus died for the penalty of my sin, But that cross now is my altar to lay down my life in surrender to Him. I look at His mercies. I look at His love. And as it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I present my body, everything I am, everything I possess is a living sacrifice, which is my reasonable act of spiritual worship. To prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Look at the second incentive to deny self and take up my cross to follow Jesus. In verses 36 and 37, Jesus asks two questions. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And the answer to both questions is absolutely the same. And what's the answer? Nothing In other words, what Jesus is saying, no matter how much money you get in this world, no matter how much acceptance, no matter how much honor, no matter how many pleasures, no matter how much life a person gains in this world, it will never be enough to buy your soul out of hell. That's exactly what he's saying. This is a powerful, powerful reinforcement of verse 35. If I try to save my life, I what? Lose it. 
Look at the third incentive to deny self and take up my cross and follow Jesus in verse 38. The third and final incentive of a reason. He says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What does it mean to be ashamed of Jesus? It means you do not want to be identified with Jesus. You do not want to be identified with his words, with his teachings, because you believe it will make you look foolish. It will make you look weak. It will make you look odd, queer before the eyes of others. You don't want to be identified with how the world sees Jesus. How the world looks upon his teachings because what is most important to you is acceptance, honor, pleasure, safety, security. Now, what is so, so very tragic about this? Notice, you can't miss it. Seeking the approval of an adulterous and sinful generation is more important than seeking the approval of God. And Jesus says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, I'll be ashamed of him. As a result, even if you were to gain the whole world, you'll lose the glory of my Father. I think of Jimmy Elliot. Most of you have know, you know that name. First husband of Elizabeth Elliot, who died as a martyr, advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I invite you today to deny self, to take up your cross and follow Jesus for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of advancing his gospel, to trace your life after Jesus, to turn away from all other distractions and stay tuned in on Jesus. Yes, yes, I have to tell you, it will mean hostility, humiliation, suffering, and possibly death in this life. What did Paul say? All those who live godly will suffer what? Persecution. But praise God, the one who loses his life for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of the gospel will save it forever. So Jesus' invitation is still extended today. Follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Would you bow with me in prayer? I think it would be very appropriate right now just to allow a few moments of uh, private meditation for you to reflect on the truth that you've heard, to ask God to put the spotlight of His holiness on you, to expose 
you for who you truly are and what you're surrendered to, what you believe in, what you're committed to. In light of his statement, if any man wishes to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me in that way. So I'll give you an opportunity to respond in your heart to God. And I trust in your heart to hear his words, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. And although it will not be an easy road, it will not be an easy race to run in this life, it will be followed by an eternity of glory and riches. Lord Jesus, we've seen this morning that you call us to follow you. We've seen the implications of what it means to follow you, that we must deny ourselves and take up our cross to follow you. A cross that will involve hostility in this world, being humiliated by this world, suffering, and even possible death. We want to thank you for your honesty. that you never used slick methods to try to catch us and that you put it out there very clearly, the cost of following you. That although salvation is free, it's not cheap. That you truly are worthy of the surrender of our lives. 
And so I pray um, by your power at work in us, if there are any in our midst that have been deceived to embrace a superficial faith, that excluded repentance, that excluded surrender to you, that we would be brought to true, authentic faith, that we would see the utter simplicity that you've given us eternal life, but that life is in your Son. And it's he who has the son, not the one who prayed some prayer or walked down some aisle, although that could have been part of our experience, but the essence is he who has the son has life, and he who has not the son has not life. And yes, Jesus is both Savior and Lord. Even the message of the angels at the birth of Jesus was a Savior is born for you this day in the city of David. Who is Christ the Lord? And so, yes, Lord, we want to receive you as Savior and Lord. We surrender our lives to follow you, even if that will lead us to hostility and humiliation, suffering and even death. And Lord, we acknowledge that apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from your power at work in us, we would deny you. And so, Lord, we are totally dependent upon you, totally desperate for you going forward. But we first have to be willing. We first have to surrender, trusting that as we are willing, as we do surrender, faithful is He who calls us, who also will do it. That we can be confident that You will complete the good work in us, and even when we place, face such unpleasant things like hostility, like suffering, or even possibly death, Your grace will be there for us. And Lord, we desire to do this for your sake because we love you and adore you for who you are, what you did for us. We desire to do this for the gospel's sake because there are people that are lost, doomed to an eternity in hell. And you have entrusted us, your followers, with the task of taking your gospel into the world. to share with them the gospel, providing the opportunity to put their trust, to put their faith, to surrender their lives to you. And yes, as we've seen the last few weeks, it will involve spiritual warfare, but thank you, you've given us the armor we need to stand firm, to stay true, and remain faithful. And so we trust you 
For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.